Hi friends. This is the first time you're hearing my voice on this podcast. So my name is John Bergen. I use he, him, and his, and I'm recording this in Philadelphia on unceded Lenny Lenape land. Uh, in case you didn't know, you're listening to The Word is Resistance, a podcast exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about surviving, resisting, and thriving in our current context of violence, repression, and white supremacist heteropatriarchal colonial capitalism. We ask, what do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up in liberation? The music you'll hear throughout the episode is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding, We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who comes together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for this podcast. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith. The Surge, or Showing Up for Racial Justice, organizes white people to take bold action against white supremacy. So this podcast aims to resource us in that work, which means it's for everyone, but geared towards white people working to build our resistance muscles. We welcome your feedback and especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. As I mentioned at the top, my name is John Bergen, and I live in Philadelphia on unceded Lenny Lenape land, and I serve as associate pastor at Germantown Mennonite Church, a progressive, predominantly white, middle-class, queer-celebrating church. I also am a volunteer organizer and leader with two campaigns, Earthquaker Action Team, a faith-rooted direct action group focused on climate, economic, and racial justice, and the Coalition to Abolish Death by Incarceration, a campaign to end life without parole sentences in Pennsylvania, or what we call Death by Incarceration, or DBI, that brings together people serving these DBI sentences, their loved ones, and their supporters. I want to begin this week's dive into the text with a meditation. I'll be pulling out some particular things from the text, but there's so much in there that I want to start with an open-ended meditation that may spur things inside you that are unique and powerful, messages that people in your community need to hear. So I invite you to close your eyes or focus on a point on the ground. If you're driving or walking or otherwise unable to close your eyes, that's okay. I invite you to breathe deeply and notice your breath. Feel your breath, fill your lungs, and return out to the world. Breathe in. And breathe out. Now feel whatever points of physical contact you have with your surroundings, whether it's the floor, a chair, or the bare earth. Feel the connection between yourself and the world. Breathe life into these points of connection. Breathe in 
and breathe out. As we continue to breathe, I will read a part of this week's lectionary passage, then ask a few questions to reflect on the text. Hear now this reading from Acts 10, 44-48. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter said, Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they invited him to stay for several days. Breathe in and breathe out. What parts of yourself have you withheld water from? What parts of yourself have you not recognized, not named and baptized? I invite you to name these parts out loud if that is helpful or name them in your head. Breathe in and breathe out. Feel the breath fill your lungs. Feel the breath return to the world. What places in yourself have others withheld water from? Where have you not been held? I invite you to name these places out loud if that is helpful or name them in your head. Breathe in, breathing life into the points of connections with your surroundings, and breathe out. Who in your community has been withheld water? Who has been denied connection, full community, or full life? I invite you to name them out loud if that is helpful, or name them in your head. Breathe in the sacred breath of God and breathe out. Now who in your community has been withholding that water? Who has cut off others from community? Is it a particular person? Is it you? Is it a group of people or an unnamed dynamic? Is this withholding healthy or unhealthy? I invite you to name these truths out loud if that is helpful or name them in your head. Breathe in and breathe out. As you continue to breathe, I invite you to open your eyes. If this practice has been heavy, or if your body is stiff, I invite you to shake off the exercise, get up and walk around, or get a glass of water, whatever you need. Because, all right, I want to talk about the book of Acts. I 
love the book of Acts, that underutilized book that comes just after the Gospels in the Christian Testament. I find that most Christians, we don't spend enough time reading this book, which is kind of odd because it's the story of our spiritual ancestors trying to build a movement under intense repression, trying to make sense of the resurrection, trying to follow the Holy Spirit into new and really uncomfortable places. It documents a community changing dramatically at the points of confrontation between the spirit of God and the spirit of empire. What's not to love? And this story has Peter in it. Peter, the patron saint of people who are really sure we have it figured out, only to realize a little bit later that we had no idea what we were talking about, but we definitely have it figured out now. The patron saint of people who are willing to expand their understanding of struggle and change their framework for collective liberation. Peter. Oh, Peter. He's such a mess. I love him. And these few verses come at the end of the famous story of Peter meeting Cornelius. And I just don't feel like I can talk about these verses without telling the whole story. So it starts way back at the beginning of the chapter with Cornelius, this colonizer, military leader, who nevertheless is a God-fearer most likely meaning that he attended synagogue but wasn't a full convert. It says he gave his money, quote, to the people, and he prayed constantly. He's a colonizer who tries to worship the god of the people he's colonizing, or maybe he's just a philanthropist being the the human face to Roman imperialism. Anyway, the writer encourages us to have some mixed feelings about him. So anyway, Cornelius has this vision where an angel of God tells him to send for Simon, a.k.a. Peter, And at the same time, Peter is praying on his buddy Simon's roof. So that's Simon Peter praying on Simon the Tanner's roof. And he gets a vision of really a non-kosher picnic. And a voice invites him to eat. And Peter says, nope, I've never done the non-kosher rooftop picnic thing. And the voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And this happens three times. And if you've ever had dinner with people from this part of the Mediterranean, you know that you actually have to refuse food three times for they'll believe you don't want it. So anyway, Peter refuses it three times, and then the picnic disappears. So Peter is really confused, and just then Cornelius' messengers show up, and there's three of them, like the three visitors who visit Abraham in the book of Genesis, symbolism, and Peter invites them to stay. Remember again, this isn't Peter's house he's at, this is the other dude named Simon's house, so I really hope that Simon the Tanner is cool with it. Remember, this is Peter, the patron saint of the overeager, Anyway, the next day, they head out from Joppa to Caesarea, where Cornelius lives. Caesarea is one of those new, shiny cities cities built up by the Romans, and it's literally named after Caesar. So here comes Peter, the overeager former fisherman, to meet with the colonizer, the military general, the God-fearer. And Cornelius explains his vision, and then Peter shares the good news. He shares how God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, quote, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and Jerusalem, and they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So that's a lynching. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. And then, after this big speech from Peter, we get our lectionary passage, wherein Peter asks, 
Can anyone withhold water for baptizing those people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? A quick side tangent here. There's this long history of reading this text and much of the book of Acts as justifying Christian supersessionism, the idea that Christians have replaced Jews as God's chosen people. The reality is that the ideology of supersessionism would have been deeply confusing both to Peter and to the writer of the book of Acts. For them, disagreements about the divinity of Jesus or the reality of the resurrection were disagreements inside the family. They were one part of a whole series of debates about Gentiles, purity, and personal transformation that were lively topics of conversation across Palestine and across the Jewish diaspora. Much of the book of Acts is an argument about whether Gentiles can be welcomed into the movement without having to embrace Jewish purity law, not whether Gentiles are superior to Jews. And this story, like so many others in this book, isn't an argument for Christian exclusivity, but rather for an expansive and inclusive vision of community. Okay, but what I'm really curious about here is how Cornelius might have felt about this. Cornelius, this complicated colonizer, gets invited into community by Peter, the poor brown colonized laborer. Cornelius lived as a God-fearer, an ally of the Jewish Palestinians, but he was still a centurion, and he was still unwilling to go all in and join the Jewish community. And here he was, getting invited to go all in, to give it all, to receive the living water. I imagine Cornelius overwhelmed by humility, by gratitude, and maybe by anxiety about what this would mean for him. Would he be forced to quit his job as a centurion? Would he lose all his Roman friends? Would his kids get mocked for joining this God movement? But the book of Acts has already moved on. Like so many privileged characters in the New Testament, the narrator loses interest pretty quickly. We are told that Jesus heals a centurion's servant, or possibly boyfriend, depending on your reading, in Luke 7, but we are left wondering whether the centurion reoriented his life in the way that the disciples did. Does he take up the labor of following Jesus? Do other privileged characters truly give away half their wealth and pay back four times what they owe in reparations, like Zacchaeus does in Luke 19? Because the early hearers and writers of the Christian Testament were by and large not that wealthy, they knew that the primary work of the Spirit was in and among the oppressed, not in the hearts of the privileged. So those of us who carry various forms of social and economic privilege must ask, what might Cornelius do after this story? What might we do with this invitation to be truly a part of the movement led by the poor and oppressed? What might we be willing to put on the line? What parts of ourselves must we give life to, must we heal, so that we can be ready to remain transformed after this high point, after this moment where Peter shows up and offers us living water? For everyone out there who's a little bit Cornelius, a little bit of the complicated colonizer, this is our task to imagine this story continuing and to live out an unwritten ending. We've got to engage in some embodied midrash, living out the parts of the story that lie outside the text. So we've got to be okay with being invited in, but then forgotten. To continue practicing the gospel message of liberation without expecting recognition. 
And when we have been invited into the God movement, that new freedom church of the poor, to borrow a phrase from Willie Baptist and the current organizing the Poor People's Campaign, we must pass that invitation forward, continue to broaden the coalitions we are part of and deepen the work we do. We've got to commit ourselves to collective liberation in our world, in our communities, and in ourselves. And we've got to continue this work even if it doesn't generate buzz on Facebook or in our community. People organizing in rural spaces or away from major cities that generate buzz know this lesson. Working class and poor organizers know this lesson. Organizers of color know this. Political prisoners and incarcerated organizers who often articulate demands and frameworks for understanding the carceral state years before the rest of us understand it know this lesson. Even if we never get public recognition or get invited to that cool conference or get invited to share on a podcast, we've got to keep working. Especially then. That's where it counts, when it's not cool or visible or celebrated. That's where anti-racism, anti-imperialism matters most. To put it simply, the resurrection happened without anyone watching. In the still of the night, with the machine of empire still whirring around it, the resurrection happened anyway. And then it changed the lives of everyone who knew Jesus and for Cornelius, the complicated colonizer, the resurrection showed up in his home in the form of unearned grace from a fisherman. And it demanded a metanoia, a repentance, a radical change of life. showing up for this movement of the poor and oppressed without putting yourself in the limelight is to give money and or support others to give support to Black Mama's Bailout, a project of the National Bailout Collective, a formation of black organizers committed to building a community-based movement to end pretrial detention. This collective, which consists of groups in over a dozen states, has bailed out over 200 people since they launched in May 2017 with their Black Mama's Bailouts. Across this country, there are 646,000 people locked up in more than 3,000 local jails. 70% of these people are being held pre-trial, meaning they have not been convicted of a crime and are legally presumed innocent. Black people are twice as likely to be held pre-trial as white people. These hundreds of thousands of people who have not been convicted of any crime are locked in cages because our country has a system of money bail which the constitutional principle of innocent until proven guilty only applies to those with money. And friends, this is true resurrection work, helping black mamas and black women, cis and trans women, come home from jail, open jail doors, and reunite with their families. You can learn more and check out local chapters and give financial support at www.nomoremoneybail.org. You can also download their toolkit and share it with your friends and congregation members. I borrowed much of the language here from that toolkit. I'll be donating to the Philly Community Bail Fund to bail out black mamas in my region. You can check them out at www.phillybailout.com slash donate or uh, use the nomoremoneybail.org site to search for local projects near you engaged in this work. 
Thank you for joining me today. As always, let us know how it goes by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search for The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available on our website, which include any references, credits, and copyright information. Thanks to our sound editor, Maxwell Pearl. Seriously, thank you, Max. This is my first podcast. I threw you a bunch of questions, and you answered all of them. Blessings to all of you as, continue, as you continue in the work of being transformed, of transforming the movement, and transforming this world. Go in peace. Yeah.